I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, pseudoephedrine. Pseudoephedrine doesn't just clear congestion, it's also a key ingredient in the manufacture of meth. It was banned as an over-the-counter drug in 2011. A ban on all medicines containing pseudoephedrine is one option being looked at in the government's bid to crack down on the illegal drug methamphetamine. Pseudoephedrine is the main ingredient used in the manufacture of methamphetamine or pee. It's my thinking that I'll ask the the newly appointed chief scientific advisor to provide me some advice about whether it's possible for New Zealand to eliminate pseudoephedrine in the making of of codrol and those kinds of tablets. Since it was reclassified, there have been no burglaries of pharmacy for pseudoephedrine because there hasn't been any except in safes. Soon it will be back on pharmacy shelves. And here's how ACT leader David Seymour justifies it. For the last decade or so, we've all been denied some decent cold and flu medication, but the gangs are selling more pee than ever. We were promised, oh, you won't notice any difference. You know, there's other substitutes that are just as good as pseudoephedrine, cold and flu medication. Uh, That's not true. And according to the US Food and Drug Administration, he's right saying last month the common over-the-counter alternative to pseudoephedrine, phenylephrine, is no better than a placebo. Today we look at what was going on more than a decade ago that led to the ban and what's changed. My first reaction was just as a member of the public and thinking, oh, well, that could be quite useful because I, I have found them a helpful medication in the past. Simon Adamson is Associate Professor at the National Addiction Centre at the University of Otago. He's also a clinical psychologist in private practice. OK, it might be useful for me, but is it a good idea for society or not is, is, is the next question, isn't it? And is it? We're going to find out. The original law change 10, 15 years ago was justified in that context. Uh, methamphetamine has certainly not stopped being an issue since then, but the the way in which it is manufactured and brought into the country has changed quite a lot. And so if we see a reversion to some of those old practices because of this, then we're going to accrue some additional harm as a result of it. But there's reason to think that that might not happen. What was going on at the time that it was banned? What was going on in terms of pseudoephedrine being used for the manufacture of methamphetamine in New Zealand? So methamphetamine has been around to you know, a significant degree in New Zealand for around about 25 years. And if we cast our mind back, the media coverage and the, the you know the social impact was looking a little different then. It was we had um, clan labs, so these clandestine laboratories where people were cooking it up. A drug dealer who sold methamphetamine out of an upmarket Wellington apartment opposite the Central City Police Station has been jailed for 17 years. Police netted a million dollars worth of the drugs in a raid in March last year. Two men were sentenced for importing and supplying methamphetamine. Two other people were sentenced on similar charges. The four were sentenced to between three and a half and 17 years in jail. And it was very expensive. The the manufacturer relied quite heavily on sourcing of pseudoephedrine, so that was used as, as a primary precursor compound to manufacture methamphetamine. 
So not only did we have the harm of addiction and addiction-related morbidity and mortality and criminal offending to support that, we also had this environmental contaminant risk, which was really substantial for people living in those environments and children living in or exposed to those environments and property damage and all those costs associated with those clan labs and a lot of police resource tied up in, in chasing those up. So the solution, make it hard to get hold of that precursor, over-the-counter sales from pharmacies banned. When that was banned, methamphetamine use didn't stop. If only it was that simple, uh, different sources were found. And so what's happened is we see methamphetamine being imported largely from China, is my understanding. There probably are other countries involved, but that's the one that's mostly mentioned. Probably up to about 2016, um, the meth coming into New Zealand was dominated um, by China, Southeast Asia and the Asia region. This is a clip from the New Zealand Herald's documentary called Fighting the Demon. What we've seen since around 2016 is the emergence of the Americas. The Mexican cartels have become uh, involved. There was a period where there was quite a bit of pseudoephedrine being illegally smuggled in and it then being manufactured, but they've now sort of just cut out that step in the process. It's done all offshore, which makes a lot of sense kind of economically and logistically to have the more compact, higher value thing being imported. And um, so it's being imported from overseas and the price has, and here's a really key point, the price has dropped substantially. Currently in New Zealand, the best way to make money is to sell methamphetamine. So people are now paying somewhere in the region of half down to even a third of what uh, they used to be paying for at street level for methamphetamine. So what that means is um, once pseudoephedrine is back on the shelves, the cost-benefit ratio of of trying to acquire that locally and then manufacture it to compete with a presumably relatively efficient importation process. Customs do a great job of some interceptions, but um, they're clearly not not stopping um, a lot of methamphetamine. Whether or not back to the 20 teens is ever going to be viable. And I just don't know what the economics are and whether there's going to be sufficient profit potentially in people taking that approach. Because back then, how did these people operating the clan labs get it in great bulk? Was it breaking into these pharmacies? There was breaking into pharmacies. We were constantly burgled, I would say, at least uh, a dozen times a year. But there was also just a lot of low-level foot soldiers who would be paid to wander around a few pharmacies in the city and get you know, one or two packets of soda drink containing medication per pharmacy and they'd be, I'm not exactly sure the numbers, but it would be something like cost $20 to buy it and they'd get paid $50 for it and um, someone would just be an aggregator accumulating that and if you've got a few people wandering around a few places and no one's, people aren't going to raise alarms when they walk in just wanting one or two, one packet or maybe two packets um, and, into an individual pharmacy but you're multi- you've got 10 people and they, they go to a few places a day for a few days, you can accumulate 500 packets and the people you've got who are obtaining that for you are you know are part of that drug using scene so you know there's always going to be a population looking for that opportunity these clan labs do they not really operate now no the number is is it's approaching zero whether it's actually zero i don't know you know the current scene is is massively different to what the scene was then 
So will, will we see a return to that or has that horse bolted and, and the economics of that don't add up anymore and it's, you know, people have got their supply lines and they've got their better price margins than they, they had previously and uh, and that's that. That's the other thing. You need people with the skills and you need the equipment to to do this. Um, there's still obviously people out there who used to manufacture methamphetamine this way and, and there might be a little bit of that happening, but... It would have to happen to scale for it to be a significant harm to counter you know, the potential social benefits of, a, of, of an effective medication. Because it's quite a scientific thing, isn't it, making methamphetamine in, in a laboratory? It is. Yeah, it was quite a skilled job, to the, and that's to the extent that you know there are a number of examples of people who were sufficiently skilled who would be kidnapped by gangs to to be their manufacturer or people who are highly prized within an organised crime environment. Uh, really? As, as, that, as that skilled operator, absolutely. Yeah. In New Zealand? Yes, definitely. There's a bit of a knack to it. You needed to be a good chemist. It's a lost art. I shouldn't make a joke of it. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure there are people who took pride in their, in, in their skills and, and there are probably people who curse their skill because once they got into it, they didn't really have the option to stop doing it if it was making money for other people on the scale it was. You're talking about the cost of methamphetamine. Do you have any idea what it is to buy some on the market these days and how that compares with when it was? Yeah, so ball, ballpark is um, a, a gram can cost as little as three or $400. You know, if you go back... 15 to 20 years it was it was a thousand dollars and we're not adjusting for inflation either so the the price difference is, is even greater than that might imply and you only need a small amount don't you a point yeah a point so that's um a tenth of a gram point you know point one of a gram or you know half of that for a naive user half of that you'd be feeling it for a number of hours so it's pretty low entry point in terms of cost one of the things that's really dangerous about methamphetamine is people can build up very high tolerance and end up using large amounts. You know, it's not a lot of people end up using multiple grams a day, but but some people do, and that's um, that adds up to a lot. So, what is it in pseudoephedrine that makes it so desirable as an illegal drug and an effective treatment for colds and flu? I'm Dr. Rhys Ponton, Senior Lecturer at the School of Pharmacy, University of Auckland, trained as a pharmacist in the UK. Let's start with some of the basics about pseudoephedrine. What exactly is it? It's a product that derives from a plant in Korea, China, related to the chemical, as it may come from the name pseudoephedrine, is it's related to, to ephedrine. The, uh, the chemical compound which is found naturally. Now the important thing about pseudoephedrine for clinical use is that it's it's quite an effective nasal decongestant. So that's why it's been available on the market uh, in New Zealand previously and is available uh, elsewhere in the world currently in Australia, the UK. But what is it that's caused so much concern in the past? So the problem with it is that the, the chemical compound pseudoephedrine is quite easy to manipulate and turn into methamphetamine. Was it the only over-the-counter drug that has had these addictive properties? Uh, I wouldn't say pseudoephedrine itself has any addictive properties. Um, I think what you're asking is, is it the only drug that can be converted into methamphetamine? And more or less, yes. I mean, 
previously, for example, in the UK, but many, many years ago, the drug ephedrine, which is obviously related to pseudoephedrine, um, was available. That can also be converted. What's your experience of other parts of the world? I mean, were you able to access it easily over the counter, say, in the UK? Yep. Uh, pseudoephedrine remains available for sale over the counter in the UK. Um, the UK has traditionally never really had a methamphetamine problem. The UK is, is pretty awash with cocaine and crack cocaine, so that takes up quite a bit of the market for, for a stimulant drug, which is kind of where methamphetamine falls. Uh, methamphetamine has traditionally been associated with um, called the Pacific Rim, so um, Japan, down Southeast Asia, Australia, uh, and here as well, of course, in, in the US. And is there no other medicine on the market that you can buy, like Codrol, that has the same effect? So there is the Codrel um, and, and other similar products which contain a different drug called phenylephrine. Now, earlier this year, we saw that the FDA announced the results of a review they've conducted, um, which has confirmed what, what, what we already knew in that um, phenylephrine really is not effective as a decongestant. So therefore, we're really left um, here in New Zealand with the options of phenylephrine, which doesn't work, and then products which can be used, such as particularly the, the nasal sprays. Now, they can be effective, but the problem with them is they have significant risks attached. But the medicine that effectively clears your nose is not back on pharmacy shelves immediately. Reese says it'll be months before the regulatory changes and the products themselves are made. All the products that were uh, available prior to the ban now no longer exist. So pharmaceutical companies will need to develop products and packaging, particularly with New Zealand-specific um, instructions on them, to now allow legal sale here in New Zealand. So it wouldn't be a case of just saying, oh, well, in Australia, in the UK or in the US, we'll just buy what they're having. Does it not work like that? Yes and no. A lot of tablets um, are made in one source country, one, one source factory, and, and sold in many other countries, but they're, they're packaged differently, so the process would need to be set up for them to be packaged and sold in the country of Luxembourg. But there must also be stocks here already, because you, you know it can be prescribed right now, can't it? Uh, yes, it can be prescribed, but I'm not sure of the availability of the product. I have heard that um, it's it's hard to source. Um, that, that would be simply because of lack of prescribing. But also um, the product, a drug that is available for behind the pharmacy counter isn't necessarily packaged for over-the-counter sales. So the methamphetamine market has changed, but Simon Adamson says the effects haven't. Oh, yes, certainly methamphetamine continues to be one of the, the more prominent drugs that we are seeing people attending treatment for. Look, there's a, there are a raft of, of harms that occur with methamphetamine use. The, you know, the, the brain effects mean that people um, do struggle with life organisation. They, they have um, significant issues uh, around mood. There can be some increased impulsivity. 
there is a, a correlation with increased violence. It can be overblown and that you know most methamphetamine users are not violent people. But if you're looking at particularly heavy users, that can be a risk, and particularly those with a history of violence, it's it's um, putting you know pouring petrol on that. There's a significant risk of psychosis for people at that very heavy end of use. People are either just depleting their long built up personal resources or the resources of those around them, uh, and in some cases they're resorting to criminal offending in order to, to fund that. Um, often enough, that is just getting sucked into part of the machinery of methamphetamine supply and sale, uh, and but sometimes it can extend in, into other behaviours as as well. And we also see some some physical health issues. So there's increased risk of some cardiac uh, harm. Um, dental health is is very poor. Of course, um, stimulants have long been used as diet um, medication. If you're a heavy methamphetamine user, you're going to lose a lot of weight. And um, that can be quite extreme in some cases and and just puts people's organs uh, at at risk for a variety of health complications. So in the years since it's been banned as an over-the-counter drug at the pharmacy, have things changed in terms of the market for methamphetamine? I'm getting the impression from you that there is no, not really any danger that we're going to revert back to the way it was in terms of these clan labs and people. Um... Well, no, well, well, there there is a danger. We could revert back to that, as I say, if the economics adds up. And I just don't know. I haven't I haven't seen the uh, the business case. Certainly chemists aren't thrilled about the prospect of having it back in their shops. I'm just seeing the chances of more homegrown labs, like, you know, um, but also security, like, you know, of our staff. It doesn't um, really make sense that we would want to increase the risk to society by making that change. But given how much the prices dropped and how steady the supply from overseas is, uh, my, my hunch, my prediction is that the old ways unlikely to outcompete the new way. Do you have any other worries about over-the-counter drugs and them being abused in this way? I'm just thinking about codeine. Sure. Yeah. Look. Well, there there are a range of over-the-counter drugs that are psychoactive and have the potential to be abused. So there are the opioids like codeine, the sedatives, and particularly benzodiazepines. There's a few other things like gabapentin. There's a stimulant class. There's also methylphenidate, Ritalin, in terms of prescribed medications. Um, some of those, those opioids, we you know, the stronger ones, we need to be very careful about. But they're long-established medications, and we're we're aware of the abuse potential. MedSafe are pretty good at at being clear around risks. Pharmacists are pretty good at being somewhat vigilant around this. But no, there's nothing nothing on the scale of what was previously happening with pseudoephedrine. The politicians at least seem convinced that it's going to be okay. That yeah, I, well, I, I haven't um, seen more than just brief statements of the announcement um, to, to make a strong case that they have weighed up the, the risks versus the benefits. I hope they have done that in a considered way because this, it's an important piece of policy and you would not want to get it wrong. You must be seeing the damages of methamphetamine use in New Zealand, what, on a daily basis? My clinical work is in private practice, and so 
it's not the predominant drug I see people for alcohol um, takes the prize there and and it would in most clinics private or public but yeah it's certainly um, it's happening right across society and around New Zealand it's more in some places and with some populations than others but it's pretty widely spread. So given the methamphetamine market is as strong, if not stronger than ever, was the ban on over-the-counter pseudoephedrine a complete waste of time? Well, Rhys Ponton wasn't in New Zealand back then, but... Should the majority of people suffer for a very small minority who may be trying to get a drug by misuse? No, I certainly don't believe that is the case, but... I totally support and understand the need for pharmacists to be protected from from such behaviour. So it, it, I'm sure it was a very difficult call at the time. It's the problem with illicit drugs. Illicit drugs, there will always be a market for them. People will always want to consume them, um, and there will always be people who wish to profit from their sale. You see this in, in every way. There's been many other... Uh, examples of trying to control substances, the most classic example being prohibition in the United States in the 1920s, 1930s. Look how that worked out for for alcohol control and particularly the gangs and gangsters in in the US. It was a a complete failure. So alcohol prohibition is, is one thing where you would have taken a recreational chemical away from society so people could no longer enjoy themselves with a safe drink at home versus removal, say, of pseudoephedrine, where you're removing a drug which people want to take for healthcare reasons. It's a bit of a crossover there, but um, prohibition hasn't worked, and as we see with methamphetamine, it's still pretty much rampant here. That's all for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to Simon Adamson and Rhys Ponton. Kaikite. Kite.